0: Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Years ago, after graduation, one of my first insights was that what had counted as smart in school was not necessarily useful or helpful. The first time I needed a plumber on a Saturday night I really got what a master's degree from Harvard was worth. And when I paid his bill, I really got it. My most recent insight into smart is that true intellectual firepower has precious little to do with academics and grades and everything to do with curiosity. Smart is curious. Albert Einstein said, I have no special talents. I am only passionately curious. So curious is smart and smart researchers have proven the link between curiosity and well-being. A hungry mind, they say, is as significant as intelligence and effort in determining academic performance. Curiosity is associated with positive affect, strong interpersonal relationships, subjective well-being, better long-term health, and longevity. I'm thinking about a spiritual practice of curiosity. Have you heard the term friendly curiosity? One of the directives for mindfulness is that we should observe the present moment with friendly curiosity. We know what friendly curiosity means in relation to other people. We're interested in who they are, what they love, how their hearts are broken, how they've gone on. We watch and listen. But what does it mean to bring friendly curiosity to our thoughts and feelings? Finding ourselves overrun by fever pitch emotions, jealousy or anger or grief, can we pause and look and see where we're hooked and pinned and take ourselves down? My friend Jim told me that for years, in a recurring nightmare, he would find himself being pursued by something terrible. Trying to run on leaden legs, he would awaken, panting, sweating, terrified. And then, probably after a lot of therapy, Jim told himself that he was going to face it. He told himself that there was nothing so terrible as living with the dread of falling asleep, the fear of the faceless monster. Even though it threatened to kill him, he resolved that when the nightmare came again, he would not run. It did come again, out of nowhere, The sense that something was nearby stalking him and then shadowed and hulking it came and this time it was going to kill him. Instinctively as always he tried to run and then in the dream he forced himself to stop. He stopped, sick with fear, determined to face the monster. He turned and found himself gazing into a mirror. It marked a turning point in Jim's life that night when the nightmare ended and it left a deep impression on me. Jim's willingness to engage his curiosity, to be more curious even than fearful. Introduced him to a whole new world he hadn't known he contained. I asked him about the monster, what did he think it meant? And he quoted a little from Marianne Williamson's A Return to Love Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate, our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who are we to be gorgeous, brilliant, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are we not to be? Our playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around us we are all meant to shine. We were born to make manifest the glory that is within us. It is not just in some of us. It is in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. The word curious is related to the Latin word cura, meaning care. To bring friendly curiosity, mindfulness, to our own lives invites us to receive the teaching of everything that happens to us, everything. Even at worst, we are invited not to waste our suffering, but to learn from it. Loss is the cruelest teacher and the only one that can teach us to transmute our suffering into compassion. This is 13th century Persian Sufi mystic Jalaluddin Rumi's The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still, treat each guest Honorably, he may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. People have conjectured that dinner parties are on the way out because we're all too busy and have too many allergies and fussy preferences. (laughs) But our friend, comedian Kate Clinton, is bemoaning the death of the dinner party due, she says, to smartphones. In the pre-web, pre-phone as appendage days, someone at the table would say, what word was it that Vice President Dan Quayle couldn't spell? And then, yes, we'd remember it was, he added an E to the end. And where was he? School, right, okay, he was correcting some poor 12-year-old in a spelling bee, right? It's like even worse than we thought, yeah. And then we'd all get going on our favorite quailisms and inevitably we'd piece together our favorite one of all, when speaking to the leadership of the United Negro College Fund, whose slogan is a mind is a terrible thing to waste, the vice president of the United States said, and I quote, you take the UNCF model that what a waste it is to lose one's mind or not to have a mind is being very wasteful. How true that is, end quote. But now, says Kate Clinton, instead of this repartee in which we engage our curiosity and reconstruct history collaboratively, someone at the dinner party will say, what word was it that Vice President Dan Quayle couldn't spell? And everyone reaches for their phone, Googles the Wikipedia entry, and reads it out loud. End of conversation. Or maybe we're just curious enough to follow up with the question, Should a minimum IQ be established for people considering running for public office? Google it, and in 0.83 seconds, you will get about 1,520,000 results. It follows that everyone could just read their phones for the rest of the evening. In Finding the Next Einstein, psychologist Jonathan Way writes of the problem with Googling. We have no problem finding the exact answer to our question, but we may be less likely to serendipitously encounter information that is not specific to our question. A serendipity deficit makes innovation harder because innovation relies on the unexpected collision of knowledge and ideas. A truly curious person knows that they don't always know what they want to know. So how do we cultivate curiosity as a spiritual practice? I think of three steps. First, we devote ourselves to looking beneath the surface. If we're skimming the surface, and especially if the surface is dull, Remember that everyone and everything has a story. A spiritual practice of curiosity invites us to dive in, to practice saying, I wonder. Second, we can choose to reframe the experience. If you're standing in a long line, you can get curious and make it interesting. Just try picking up National Enquirer. Or if you're cleaning up after a shared meal and you're bored with the dishes, instead of thinking, I hate doing dishes, you can reframe and think, it's heavenly, this opportunity to serve these people and show them that I love them. And third, my favorite, of course, we can collaborate, get social. Even the activities that threaten to be the most boring, envelope licking, snow shoveling, can be forays into curiosity. So much is sweetened by companionship. And even if it's hard to keep the tasks scintillating, there's always the victory dance at the end. No one exemplified uh, elevating curiosity from a solitary affair to a shared enterprise better than Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci. Artist, scientist, architect, engineer, a to-do list written on a page of one of his notebooks includes among 15 similar items these four. Get the master of arithmetic to show you how to square a triangle. Ask Maestro Antonio how mortars are positioned on bastions by day or night. Find a master of hydraulics and get him to tell you how to repair a lock Canal and mill in the Lombard method. Ask about the measurement of the sun, as promised by Maestro Giovanni Francese. It's just like my to-do list, only different. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't it amazing how collaborative he was in his curiosity? He just kept going to the professionals to teach him, and then, well... It's fair to assume that possibly the most prolific inventor ever was also pretty good at looking beneath the surface and reframing his experiences. Beloved spiritual companions, may we bring friendly curiosity to the present moment and make of curiosity a spiritual practice. Let's look beneath the surface, reframe our experience, and collaborate. How do you spell potato? Amen. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office.com